0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: In February 1928, Bert Hinkler made history as the first person to fly solo from London to Australia in just 15 days. And of course this month commemorates the anniversary of that remarkable achievement. Known as the Australian Lone Eagle, Bert spent a decade preparing for for his daring feat traveling around he was a mechanic he turned uh, into a pilot he served as a fighter pilot and inventor during world war one and he completed his historic solo flight from london to australia he landed in darwin and i think he was invited to sit on the floor of the house of representatives in australia because he was much fated for his for his uh, his his feet the celebrated journey, of course, marked the uh, conclusion of an innovative aviation adventure. Joining us to share the fascinating story of Bert Hinkler is author Grantley Keyser, who wrote a book honouring him as the most daring man in the world. Grantley, good evening. Welcome back to Nightlife.
0: Oh, good evening. Phil, thanks very much for having me on the programme. He's an extraordinary man, Bert he, Hinkler. He was so. an
1: extraordinary man. Wasn't he? And I think most Australians probably don't know that much about him. I mean, other than that, oh, yes, he was the first to fly from England to Australia. But in a way, that was. It wasn't even his greatest achievement, was it?
0: Well, he had so many great achievements. Yeah. Probably his greatest uh, feat of aviation was flying across the South Atlantic from hmm. Brazil to the coast of Africa, in, in obviously in one go. But uh, he calculated he had just enough fuel to get there, and, and uh, if he, if he, if his navigation was spot on, of course he navigated by the stars, and he just just made it. His uh, navigation was spot on, but he was the most. He was called the most daring man in the world when he arrived in Darwin from that flight to England. The mayor of of Darwin said it's an honour to have the most daring man in the world arrive here. And uh, he had that for the rest of his life. But it's amazing that flight across the, the Atlantic just before he took off, he wanted to get back to England in a hurry. And he thought that was the quickest way just before he took off. Someone gave him a pet monkey to take with him. So Bert <laughs> took off into a, a raging thunderstorm with rolling cloud, black clouds, with a screaming monkey climbing all over his head in <laughs> his little tiny aircraft to fly from the coast of uh, South America to the coast of Africa. He yeah. Was it was it astonishing. It was
1: astonishing. I mean, I, I, th- I think a lot of people probably don't realise that uh, Bert Hinkler was only the second person to fly solo across the Atlantic. I mean, everyone knows about Lindbergh, but Bert, yeah. Hinkler, Bert Hinkler was the next.
0: Well, he came he went across the, the south atlantic in fact to give you a measure of just what a great aviator he was he was named the world aviator of the year he got the gold medal at a big ceremony in copenhagen which was a little bit like in those days a little bit like the nobel prize and the guy he beat was kingston smith so that gives mm. you an idea of just the standing that bert hinkler had at the time he was uh, regarded as the greatest aviator in the world and a a man who did so much for the uh, for the industry of aviation because it, it was always his ambition growing up to prove that aircraft were the way of the future. And his dream was that people would not drive around in cars, especially in the big, big distance. He came from a, a small regional centre in, in Queensland called Bundaberg, which was only a small town in those days. He wanted people to cover the great distances in Australia by aircraft. And he said the days are crawling around the earth a number. People will be flying wherever they want to go in Australia from now on. Yeah, yeah. And that was his ambition. And, you know, uh, I just think he's... The most extraordinary character. He'd never actually, as, as a boy growing up in Bundaberg, which, as I say, is a small regional town in those days. It was a town of only three thousand mm. in eighteen nineties, early nineteen hundreds. Uh, he'd never seen an aircraft. There'd never been one in Bundaberg, but he'd seen photographs in newspapers and magazines. He he was a mail delivery boy, and he used to deliver a thing called the Aero, which was the uh, the aviation magazine at the time, the early nineteen hundreds. And he looked at the drawings and the diagrams, and he thought, "I could build one of these." And he's only a, a lad of. Fifteen or sixteen, and sure enough, in his mother's backyard, using bits of scrap metal and canvas, and he used his mother's ironing board as a base for the the machine. He actually made a glider in his backyard that flew on nearby Mon repose Beach. Uh, it flew up to a hundred meters in the uh, hundred feet in the air, about thirty meters in the air, for quite some distance. So he made a flying machine in his backyard. And it wasn't long before that that he got a job as a mechanic for a touring American aviator. I mean. Airplanes at the time were were as rare as Hensik. There were only a few in the country. And this American daredevil called Arthur Wizard Stone brought one out to do all the side shows in Australia, all the agricultural shows. And Bert hooked up with him as his mechanic, and he toured around Australia with him. But the problem with the Wizard Stone, he kept crashing the machine. And while I guarantee that Bert was always in work, he wanted to be a much better aviator than wizard stone and so, when,
1: yeah that's right so he, he goes to england doesn't he and, and yeah uh, when, well,
0: well just before world war one he wanted to become an aviator and he thought the best way to do this was to go to england because at the time that was the center of, of world aviation you know um mm. a guy called harry hawker another young enterprising australian was over there making a name for himself in aviation and And Bert thought that this was where he could really find out all there was to know about aeroplanes. And he was hoping to become a pilot, but all they would really give him was odd jobs and a job as a mechanic. So he did that for a while. And when World War I came along, he thought, this is is great. I'm going to get the chance to uh, be a fighter pilot. But they still kept him as a mechanic for some time. Uh, if you ever watch the uh, the wonderful detective show called Vera hmm. um, that's set in the area where Bert learned to fly up in the north of England around Whitley Bay and Mask on Sea and those places that's where he he took his rudimentary lessons in flying but initially during World War One he was a gunner and an observer sitting sometimes be- behind and sometimes in front of the pilot and his first task in World War One uh, was attacking zeppelins that were flying over to bomb the uh, big factories in the north of England. He would go up against these huge monoliths of the sky uh, with a uh, with a 303 rifle trying to shoot them out of the sky. That was his <laughs> first job as an age But eventually, towards the end of the war, 1917, he got his pilot's licence. Uh, one of the flying instructors was the guy who ended up writing the uh, the Biggles adventure books, and he was one of the flying instructors. But he wasn't such a great flying instructor. He, he probably taught more guys to crash than actually to fly. Mm. But Bert- Burton learned all he could about flying, and he became a fighter pilot in the area of uh, northern Italy and then around the the, the Alps that border, Italy yeah. and Austria, and that's where he became a fighter pilot. But he, he hated being a fighter pilot, even though he was very happy to be, you know, fighting for his king mm. and his country. He uh, he said, God damn, he, he wrote a letter home to his mother saying, you know, all they're turning me into is... It, it, all they're turning me into is a blast murderer because he was being ordered to uh, shoot at retreating Italian troops, and he, he hated yeah. that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was all that's right. Aviation was being made up as as they went at the time, wasn't oh,
0: it? Very he, much yeah. It You know, he wrote yeah. right letters home. It, it's extraordinary the the, the bravery of the, the, the what these guys went through. Hudson Fish was another one. He mm-hmm. was a fighter pilot and a, a observer at the same time. But the 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 incredible bravery that they, they would see. Their friends get shot out of the sky, and next thing they're up to take their part in the fight. Yeah. And uh, Bert wrote home. You know, he was a very polite man. He wrote home to his mother in Bundaberg. He said, "You know, it's it's blasted um, terrifying flying through machine gun fire when your engine's on fire. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the sort of things these these guys did." Uh, but,
1: after uh, the war, he he works. He continues to work in aviation, doesn't he? And he uh, he. Becomes, he, he and, yeah, and then he gets this idea, well, he gets, not gets this idea, he, 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 I'm just getting to the solo flight between England and Australia. So, yeah. so he, le- he, de- he departs in 1928 in February, uh, yeah. which is what we're marking. And then he gets to Darwin in, uh, in, on the 22nd of, of February, That's right, 15 yeah. and a half days later. Yeah. Uh, that's an amazing flight because I mean, what are the the aircraft he used was a thing called the Avro Avian, which yeah pictures it's, I've seen of it you mean you really wouldn't fly from you know
0: <laughs> well it's about the size of a, a small car if, if yeah. you look at it with with wings it's actually hanging from the roof of the, uh, the museum in Queensland the, yeah. uh, the state yes. of Queensland but it's a, a tiny little thing it had no lights no navigation equipment Bert, in in the intervening years after the war he'd become a test pilot for a company called Avro and they uh, they gave him a knockdown aircraft an Avro Avian a uh, very small aircraft at a knockdown price to to make the flight. A lot of people were very dubious about him him doing the flight and uh. Uh, against it, but he was determined. He was determined to fly from England to Australia. How and did, uh, how did
1: he manage? Like, how did he manage this in terms of where to land? Because I mean, yeah. uh, because well, I mean, it's not as though the world was replete with airports at the time. They weren't, and, and for that matter, the world wasn't replete with with fuel either. I imagine.
0: No, he was he he was fortunate in the sense that uh, there were British RAF bases yeah. pretty much all the way on the route from England to Australia every about thousand miles. So he would map it out where to, where to land, and um, he 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 took off. He had no lights, no navigation equipment. He had a pocket torch in case he had to fly in the dark. And uh, he nearly crashed on the first night because he landed in Rome, and he didn't factor in the fact uh, that there were. Telegraph lines right across the uh, the roadway in front of the airport. And he nearly hit them. He just just managed to dodge them, dodge them. But he landed in Rome, and he continued on his journey. After that, he he'd stop. He'd pull up. He'd jump out of his plane, go into town. Uh, you know, catch a cab into town, have a spaghetti, then go out the next morning to fly on to the next stop. And <laughs> he then went on to Malta, and then two nights, incredible, two nights he. he he was flying and it was getting dark and he knew he was near no airport, so he put down in the Sahara Desert and just hoped for the best. He landed amongst the sand dunes on, on the first time he did it, and the next morning the, the plane had sunk into the sand. He thought, how am I going to get out of this? And some uh, <laughs> some Bedouins, he called them, turned up on camels and, and helped him drag the um, drag the aircraft <laughs> out of the sand, and and then they helped smooth a little bit of sand so he could take off. And off he went, kept flying, um, and after about two weeks he... Uh, he landed uh, in Burma in, in, in terrible... So we he went so
1: we across what, uh, what we know as the Middle East and then yeah, across, across, in, the Middle across East. India, Burma, yeah, then across down the down That's along right. the archipelago, did he?
0: Yeah, all those places, then hmm. um, across, across India and then across into Malaysia, Landed Singapore Airport in, um, mm. in a terrible tropical downpour. He landed at he landed at places where even the airports hadn't been clear. He landed at places where there were there were tree stumps all about and, mm. and sort of docked them as he'd come in. He was <laughs> the most intrepid man. He really was. And once he got to uh, once he got to Timor, the um, at the airbase there, he uh, he was on the the longest stretch across water that he did, and it was about a thousand miles between Timor and Darwin, and uh, it took him. About 10 hours. You know, the, the plane would do about 100 miles or about 160 kilometres an hour hmm. at a push. That was if he was pushing it as hard as he could go. So after 10 hours of doing that, he's been in the hot sun all day. He's absolutely burnt to a crisp. His face is burnt to a crisp. He lands in Darwin. Um, Hudson Fish, the guy who started Qantas, had, had mapped out the uh, airfield there and was waiting for him along with a, a big, big crowd of supporters who all ran to uh, cheer on this man. And Bert. He's only a tiny guy. He's only about a little over five feet tall, about 150 centimetres tall. He's the only tiny guy. He jumps out of his aircraft. Has The machine's been vibrating and rocking around for 10 hours, and he's actually shaking, like he's got the tremors. Mm. He's actually shaking. And uh, someone puts a, a bottle of beer in his hand, and it's shaking. It's like the, it's coming out of the... The beer is coming out of the bottle because it's shaking so much, and he um, it, it has a quick, quick drink of that. And there's, you know, the huge cheers for Bert Hinkler. But it was the days before um, sponsorships and management, and uh, the 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 story of him drinking the beer it was a. The, the beer company used it as an ad for for for, for ages after the <laughs> Hinkler, you know, his first drink was a bottle of a bottle of Melbourne bitter. Yeah, of Mel- yeah.
1: oh, it was Melbourne bitter? Was it okay? There you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're talking. This. I'm talking with Grandy Keyser who's written a, um, a a great book about Bert Hinkler. That's the person we're talking about—the uh, first person to fly solo from England to Australia. But he was—he's an amazing Australian, Bert Hinkler. And uh, as I say, the England to Australia feat, you would think was not even his even his greatest flight, though great though it was. Uh, he um,
0: he went on a triumph of uh, a tour of triumph around Australia after that after that flight. He he flew down. He ended up uh, having to also put down in the, uh, in the outback way out the back of Longreach um, mm. because he, he, he couldn't follow the road because they had to navigate by sight in those days. They didn't have radar equipment. Or...
1: It was true, Boston not he? He was invited to sit on the floor of the House it of Representatives. Was. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and that he was, well, the, the, I think the next person to achieve that honour. Part, was Patrick White. was Patrick yeah. White, you know, years later,
0: yeah, yeah, and he actually declined. But Bert, Bert was very much uh, Bert. Bert played the. Bert was a shy guy, but he 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 lapped up the accolades, and he felt that they, you know, he he was really he he saw himself as the real country boy made good, and and he'd come from this small place, Bundaberg in Queensland. He'd been a cane cutter and worked in the local factory, and he worked as a plumber. And now he really was in 1928, in February 1928, he was the toast of Australia. He was seen as a It was almost like man landing on the moon. You know, Hmm. um, Hmm. he'd broken the record between uh, England and Australia. There'd been powered flights with teams of aviators in the past, um, but he'd broken the record by half. It had been 28 days. He arrived in, in, in 15 and a half so he his his mission was to show that flying really was the way of the future to cover long to cover long distances, and he'd done that and then he went on a tour of uh, a, a triumphant tour of australia uh it was fainted at parliament house went to many many places around Australia showing off his aircraft. but his thunder was taken off a little bit because a few months later. Uh, Charles Kingsford Smith, who was a tremendous self-promoter and a very charismatic man, in contrast to Bert, who was a very shy guy, didn't mm. really like the spotlight. Uh, Kingsford Smith arrived with his team. He had a team of three other aviators. They crossed the Pacific from San Francisco to Brisbane, and that stole a bit of uh, Burt's thunder. So he went back to England looking for other projects that he could do. He actually wanted to start his own aviation company, but in 1929, the, the Great Depression came and money was very short, so he he went to various places in the United States looking at aircraft design. Uh, he went up to Canada. He had a, he, he bought a little little plane. Um, it was called the Puss Moth, a little de Havilland Puss Moth. It was a very small plane with an enclosed cabin, but hmm. still a very tiny fragile plane. And he thought he'd go uh, joy joy flying. He thought he'd see all of a, much as much of the Americas as he could, and he flew it all the way down to Brazil. Him a couple of weeks, but he flew out to Africa. Then decided to go down to Brazil, see what was down there. He got to Brazil and he thought, "How am I going to? What's the quickest way for me to get this aircraft home? Because I want to do some more adventures." And he thought the quickest way was to fly straight across the South Atlantic to Africa. <laughs> so he modified the plane. He ripped out all the insides of it, made it into one giant fuel tank. He calculated that he it would he'd have enough fuel to last thirty three hours. or or thereabouts, and he landed in Africa despite the raging storm and despite the monkey Hmm. crawling over his head. He landed 32 hours later, so he only had one hour of fuel left to spare, but he made made his way back to England and he was hoping again that eventually his own aircraft company would get off the ground. Hmm. He wanted to publicise it more. He wanted to break the world record for a round-the-world flight, and uh, he took off in uh, 1933 aiming for Australia. His first stop was going to be in uh, in Italy, but unfortunately he crashed into a mountain called Pratomagno there in really wicked weather. Uh and it was later found that aircraft of that type, the the the, the Haviland moth they tended to crumple in really bad weather, the the pressure of the wind on the wings. And hmm. apparently that's what happened to Bert. Very he's, very. Strict. If you've ever was, been
1: to uh, Arezzo in Italy, he's. Uh, it, yeah. it was near there actually, where the. the mar- yeah, it was. Yeah, it? I've mm. actually been
0: up to the crash site. I I like to tell people mm. that we have a lot in common because I I crashed a uh, rental car on the on the goat track getting to where the crash site was. <laughs> so both of us crashed. <laughs> on is there anything? Major. Is it marked the crash site at all? Oh, there is. Yeah, there's a there's a monument there now, oh. and um there's actually a, a monument that uh, Mussolini had, um, Mussolini was a huge fan of Bert Hinkler. Mussolini mm. was a big aviation fan. And when, when Bert crashed Mussolini, even though Italy was about mm. to go to war with Britain, they uh, gave Bert Hinkler, this little guy from Bundaberg in Queensland, they gave him a state funeral through the streets of Florence. And there was over 100,000 people. And the, the Italian fascist band was playing God Save the King and "Rule Britannia, which is quite <laughs> extraordinary. But you see the photos it's of amazing. Bert's, State funeral, incredibly impressive. So Mussolini had a huge monument erected to him on top of the mountain, but it was actually not exactly the crash site. And the crash site, there's a a new monument there hmm. that's just put up in the last couple of years. So
1: be proud of him. Bert Henkler, most extraordinary Australian and uh, an extraordinary pioneer of aviation. Uh, Grant Lee Keeser, it's been fantastic um, bringing him to life
0: again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. Really appreciate it.